Hello and welcome to Bury Our Bones With, the podcast you never asked for but will listen to anyway. I'm your host Ryan Etherington and I'm joined by the John Hammond to my John Hancock, the very beautiful Jimmy Murphy. In this episode, we are on watch for any ripples in the glasses of water, plunge our arms into a ton of dino feces and above all else, remember to never leave the Jeep. That's right, get ready and prepare the shovel to bury our bones with Jurassic Park. Hi, I'm Barry Wood, CEO, President and Visionary of Barry Wood's International Agency to the Stars. We're looking for the next Michael Kitchen or Felicity Kendall, and that could be you. Simply send a fax to 0224 0224 stars, and before you know it, you could have the agent that puts the Raz into Razzmatazz. I've worked with some of the finest performers in the country, from John Nettles to Jimmy Nail, Patsy Palmer to Beverly Callard. The list goes on. Soon that could be you, only with Barry Wood's international agency to the stars, where Hollywood meets Harrogate. I said to Nick Berry, stick with me, son, you'll be bigger than Peter Egan, and I defy anybody to tell me I'm wrong. Okay, so Jurassic Park, 1993, absolute classic, absolute masterpiece in my opinion. Yeah. So I can remember getting this film on VHS one Christmas. It was a lovely, sleek, black cassette, uh, video cassette tape thing. (laughs) (laughs) You lost yourself there, man. Yeah, totally. You were lost in the memory. Yeah. Also with Jumanji, so what a double bill that is. But I can remember it vividly, and I can remember looking at that that iconic cover of the VHS now DVD and Blu-ray, and thinking, "This, this, what's it about?" Other than it's got dinosaurs in there. I think I must have been. I can't have been much older than six or seven. So Yeah. yeah, and you fell in love with it yeah i mean it's yeah. one of those films that just never gets old yeah. never gets to a point where you go don't fancy that right right you know it's always always on the on the precipice of of a viewing yeah <laughs> so i remember i'm old enough to remember when it came out i would have been about 12 maybe 13 i'm assuming it was a summer blockbuster but yeah i, I remember when it came out um it was huge it was really big. I didn't go watch it. I Yeah, I don't think... Yeah, I don't think I was interested in films about dinosaurs when I was about 12, which says a lot about the sort of 12-year-old I was, really. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, th- else, I think you're you know? probably much like a lot of kids at that, that time mm. weren't probably into dinosaurs, and this kind of... This make dinosaurs cool. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, see, I don't remember when I first saw it. I definitely didn't go see it when it came out, but I can't remember when I finally did go see it. I, remember, I just remember everyone going on about the special effects. It was huge. It was everywhere. It was like this new groundbreaking thing. I think I must have seen it on DVD when it, not DVD, so it would have been VHS when it first came out on like to rent. I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't know. I can imagine it's probably very similar to how the buzz in the industry and just among audiences 
a bit like Avatar when that came out. Maybe not to the same degree. I but think it was. I think it was a. I think it was bigger. I think it was bigger. I, everything seems bigger when you're younger, though, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. So absolutely. it seemed huge. It was. Yeah, it was everywhere, and I think it. It was predominantly because of that leap forward that they took in special effects. That was what they were really hanging the the promotion on. Look at these. Di- they don't look like plasticine dinosaurs. It's something else. You've not seen dinosaurs look like this yet. I mean, now we've seen every dinosaur look like this since forever, but it was brand new and it was it was a big deal. It's really difficult, particularly for me, because I don't really... I mean, this came out in 93 and I was born 92. Mm. So I don't have any memories of life before Jurassic Park. There was always Jurassic so, Park. It, and it's always a bit weird when you think about things that f- personally have always been around forever where you go, what was life like before it? Mm. But it, the fact that it, it this kind of hinges on the the special effects and uh, the dinosaurs. If your dinosaurs look rubbish, mm. you're not going to have a good dinosaur film, generally speaking. Yeah, that's right. As good as a script will be, if you're positioning yourself on, this is a dinosaur movie and your dinosaurs look like, like the TV show Dinosaurs, which <laughs> for a little comedy TV show is great, yeah, but yeah. for a big Hollywood blockbuster, it's always going to be an uphill battle. Yeah, I mean, there was a, there was a point when that is what it might not necessarily the TV show dinosaurs, but these the dinosaurs in this film were very nearly like animatronics, claymation, all of those things. That was the path they were going down um, until they they took the turn onto, I guess, digital effects. Um, um, I'm sure they weren't calling them then. That then, though, um, I can't remember. Um, I wish I saw a, a really interesting documentary about how that came about, which I'm sure we'll get into it throughout the podcast. You know. <laughs> so well, let's just kind of cover the plot for yeah. those of you who haven't seen this film, and I can and I can imagine, although it's one of those kind of pop culture things where. I presume vast majority of people have seen it. There will probably be those people, and I'm probably one of them, not for this film, but in general, who, because of all the hype, because of all the talk about it, will kind of go, oh, I don't want to watch that because it's it's the thing that everybody says is great and oh, I'm going to just mm. push against that. I do that with some films, not with this one. Yeah. So let's just cover the plot. So... <clears throat> put on my best movie voice now. <laughs> Huge advancements in scientific technology have enabled a mogul to create an island full of living dinosaurs. John Hammond has invited four individuals, along with his two grandchildren, to join him at Jurassic Park. But will everything go according to plan? A park employee attempts to steal dinosaur embryos. Critical security systems are shut down and it now becomes a race for survival with dinosaurs roaming freely over the island. I mean, if you're not sold on that, then you'll never be sold on anything to do with Jurassic Park. I mean, that is... Yeah, I would go watch that movie. Yeah, (laughs) and we have. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't at the time, but yeah, I would go watch that movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's got something for everybody. It's it's that perfect I kind of see it as that perfect Sunday afternoon film. And I don't mean that as a 
criticism. Mm. I mean it as Sundays are probably the days where most families will probably sit down together and have everybody there in their family set up and will be, you know, a couple of hours spare to do something as a family. Mm. And usually it's stick, stick a bit of telly on or in this case, stick a film on and it's perfect for it. It's yeah. got... It's got everything you kind of want from that kind of, oh, I've got school tomorrow or I've got work tomorrow. Mm. Let's just have a little bit of popcorn fun yeah. before we have to think about that. Well, it is that, it's that Steven Spielberg blend of it's a kid for movies that adults can enjoy. You know, so you've got all of the elements that a, a young child's going, young? Yeah, youngest child, 12 or so. Um, is going to enjoy out of a movie. But you've got enough in there to keep the adults entertained. Um, Jeff Goldblum with his shirt undone for the mothers, you know. <laughs> I'm into chaos, you know. And it's, it's, it's just one of those things where you kind of, you have to kind of take a step back and go, that that takes some real skill for Steven Spielberg to do that time and time again. And as you, as you say, be, you know, a, a very good hand in doing that blend of adult and children, you know, child-centric entertainment because you can very easily go too much one way and then you're segregating yeah. essentially 50% of your audience. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's right. Yeah, he does. He skirts that um, line very well, always has done. Um, he knows how to make... Excuse me. He knows how to make action entertaining. He knows how to make a good entertaining movie. And he knows how to give a movie heart and soul, and uh, and like you say, good family movies. You know, I don't think this is his his best film. Um, I don't. I also don't have that childhood nostalgia for it, which a lot of films require to elevate them into those positions. Like like you say, you do not remember a time before Jurassic Park. I remember. I remember life before. <laughs> so, like, I, I like, I like. I mean, I was, I was talking about Steven Spielberg's greatest films. It's Jaws, hundred percent. You know, it's my, one of my favorite films. Raiders of the Lost Ark, all of those sort of films. Um, but Jurassic Park is in that ilk. It's, it's at that point in his career. Like, he, apart from, did he direct the sequel? I think he did the second one as well. Yeah, he done right? the Lost World. Uh... Yeah. So, apart from the sequel, there was a period after Jurassic Park where he was just doing solid, I want to say Oscar movies, but serious pieces of Same work. year, he, he, he also had Schindler's it's List. It's the same year as I Schindler's mean, that, List. That's that right. alone takes some skill to have... To bounce from one to the other. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's yeah. again, a real, it's a real kind of credit to him. Whether you like Spielberg's work or not, you kind of have to take a step back and go, well, he's he's managed somehow to, to go from one hit film to... Another hit film, which yeah, I mean, not I know everyone can do. Sorry, I know it's really popular to bash Spielberg now for some reason. Um, I guess when you're when you've done that many movies, and like obviously he gets the blame for destroying cinema with Jaws, you know, just inventing the summer blockbuster and all of that. And it's all true, you know, to a degree, and it's very popular to bash him. But he's incredibly skilled filmmaker. He knows how to make a good film. I remember seeing an interview of him, and he was talking about the fact that he did Schindler's List. I think he was 
filming Schindler's List when he was editing Jurassic, I think. Jurassic Park would have taken a long time to put together. He said it was a welcome respite to leave Schindler's List and do Jurassic Park because Schindler's List is a very heavy movie. That's going to be a tough, yeah. you know, you're going to be knee deep in that material. Yeah, it's not he was saying be like, people were like, how do you, how did, how could you go from one to the other? And he said it actually helped. It, it was like, I, I can put all of that to one side and think about dinosaurs <laughs> you know it's like, can we make the t-rex look more dribbly or something you know it's like yeah but yeah he's a, he's a very skilled filmmaker he's, he's, and this is another one of his very well-made films you were saying that you know people's like to kind of bash on him now and i think that's part of being successful mm. you get to a point and it's a really kind of it almost happens overnight where whereby you go oh that guy oh it's brilliant it's great work and then all of a sudden it's like the next day enough already oh god you know oh god is it another Spielberg you know I think a lot of successful directors kind of go through that and some aren't quite able to kind of get past that and I think part of Spielberg's skill was he's able to kind of jump from different type of things so something like a Schindler's List takes a lot of you know a lot of thought and a lot of uh a lot of uh a lot of mental space and, and yeah. mental space yeah it's a really good point uh but he can go to a jurassic park and it not be you know it not feel lesser than because it's it's you know it's doing something different than watching this list done yeah, whereas i think yeah. a lot of i think michael bay for me is one of those kind of directors who just kind of seems to just keep doing the same thing which it's if you like Michael it Bay film. yeah if you yeah, like yeah, it that's yeah. great yeah but if you don't yeah you know but that's it. i mean does i mean Jurassic park is obviously it's got john williams doing the score i don't know if schindler's listed um i don't know but there is it's like you say they perform different functions People are people are complex human beings, aren't they? Just, I'm sure Stephen Spielberg's exactly <laughs> the same. So he's he's performing one function with one film and one with another, you know. And uh, they are very different films, but he has that ability to to do different genres well. Apart from comedy, he's not very good at straight out comedy. If you look at 19, 1941, was it nineteen forty two? I forget what it's called. Was overblown and bloated. Um, I can't really think. I, can't, I don't think I can think it of that comedy about film much. he's yeah. done. Yeah, uh, nineteen forty. I can't remember what year. It's nineteen forty. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna go out and say it's nineteen forty-two, but I can't remember what the actual name. It's got John um, Belushi in it. Um, it's just very long. It's the edit is off. He was. I saw him in an interview. And he was talking about. It. He said he was overly confident. He didn't quite get. He thought I can. I'm a good filmmaker my films have comedy in i can do an outright comedy movie um if less is more then more must be more you know and he just overdid it overcooked it and it was his first flop um and he took it took it quite hard i think but he came back i think he came back with et don't quote me on that <laughs> you know what I mean? well, co- comedies i would say is probably one of the only genres where if you don't achieve what the genre is, then it fails. So if it's not funny, it fails. Whereas you look at something like horror, if it's not scary, it can still be an 
a, a, a fairly decent film. entertaining yeah, film yeah. you know you may not sit there and go oh that scared me but you can go oh, i like the story it's you know it's got some good bits and bobs i liked watching those people get their heads cut off that was good you know even i wasn't just, scared when it happened but it was well done yeah, yeah even yeah. Some, some elements of of you know action and thriller you know it doesn't necessarily need to be that thrilling and you can still kind of enjoy it. Mm. Whereas comedy, if it's not funny, if you're not laughing, it's, you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. what are you, you know what are you doing. It's not working. Yeah. But I think luckily for Spielberg, this this it, it, he pulled it off with Jurassic Park because I think yeah. it's one of those things where I think if he hadn't got it right, who knows what could have happened? Because I mean, he probably would have been all right if he's working on Schindler's List at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like we're saying, he. Apart from the sequel in 97, I don't think he returned to um, just sort of out-and-out action-type movies till Minority Report, 2001. Yeah, that sounds he did, about he right. He does AI in between then, but that's not, that's, that's not a Spielberg movie, really. Yeah. You know, he picked that up from Kubrick, didn't he? It's a sci-fi drama, yeah, really, yeah. more so than he anything. Doesn't, a Minority Report is that first time when he steps back into those... Mm. Those shoes. That's you know? a great film. It's a good Re- movie, man. Really long. Mm. I remember watching it. I can, I can remember watching it when it first came out. Like it again, it would have been on Sky Premiere. Not that I'm <laughs> sending anything <laughs> to anybody. Uh, I remember enjoying it, and then I brought it something like ten years later mm. and put it on. And I remember thinking, "How is this film like? Not two and a half yeah. hours long. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah. And also, how is it not like?" In one of the ones regard. that people talk about. Yeah, it's got yeah. some really, you know, great... It's ideas. one of Tom Cruise's best films, I think. Yeah, I, I, I'd I put it second way that, above I Mission think. Impossibles and all of those films, you know. I, I think the Mission Impossible franchise, though, is kind of a... It's a bit of an anomaly for franchise films, mm. whereby most franchises, by the time you get to certainly the end of a trilogy and you get to say four, mm. most of them start to fizzle out and start yeah. to, it's diminishing returns each time. Whereas Mission Impossible, I would say is probably the only franchise where it has got better and better with each instalment. Mm. Barring number two, that's a bit of a... I feel you know, like Mission Impossible's kind of had a second wind. I yeah, feel like yeah. it, was, it went that way. It was like it had done what it was going to do and then it came back. And yeah. everyone went, do you know what? Then he, that, around that time, he started doing that whole, I'm going I'm to throw myself out of a plane. I'm gonna, and people were like, I want to see Tom Cruise nearly die. You know what I mean? And obviously, that's what they're selling it on. And it's genius, you know mm. what I mean? But in marketing. Um, but that's when those movies, I feel like they kind of stepped up a level at that point, you know? Um, have they had the same director since? Has it been uh, the same people collaborating for most of those films? Off the top of my head, I wouldn't be able to say, but I, I, I know Tom ha- Tom Hanks. He's not involved in it. <laughs> That'd be a very different <laughs> Mission Impossible. Does he do the come Woody? On! He did a Woody voice. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh come, come on! on. <laughs> uh, hey, Tom Cruise. I think is is as much a part of those films in terms of the production of them. As the director, I think the director is kind of more because Working he can't. Nec- yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's kind of yeah. that's probably why they've got, had that second win because he probably came to it at a time. You know, you had Mission Impossible one ninety six, two was two thousand, and then nine years later you had three. So a fair old that's whack the of gap time. I'm thinking of had, then, yeah. had, and I think that was a noticeable kind of shift where mm. you went, oh, this is. I mean, it's the same thing, but it, it, there's something different about it. Yeah. 
But we have digressed. As usual. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, I think Minority Report is, is Cruz's one of, if not his best films, to be fair. And again, in the top top ten, I would say. But I think audiences with Jurassic Park, getting us a bit more on topic, largely agree with kind of the bits we've been saying. I mean, if we look at some of the, the figures I have in front of me are, for a 93 film, are astonishing. So it, yeah. it had a $63 million budget. Opening weekend, it made back $47 million. Wow. So, again, you've you've made almost all your budget back in your opening weekend, which is a good start. Mm. US and Canada, $404 million, which is is a substantial return. But worldwide, $1.1 billion. Wow. For 1993. Yeah. So when we convert that into say, days... What, what is that adjusted? That yeah. is £1.7 billion. Pounds. Wow. So... In, in probably you're probably looking at two two billion in dollars adjusted, mm. which is you, you're getting up to kind of like Star Wars Force Awakens types, mm. you know. So so again, it's it's that, showing showing that there was a market for for it. Mm. Yeah, and that's just the box office. Just the box office. We're not talking lunch boxes. <laughs> we're not talking DV, uh, VHSs. I guess DVDs were around the but yeah, mid-90s, yeah. weren't they? You know? I think they came in sort and, of 95. And if they were, I'm sure he sold a few of these on DVD. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, he's got enough to retire yeah, for yeah. three or four times yeah. just from this. Yeah, for you sure. Know, very, very comfortably. Uh, I mean, I remember the T-shirts being everywhere. For Jurassic Park, like people just wearing Jurassic Park t-shirts well, a lot. That's this is part of the genius of this marketing. Mm. So I read that they had the marketing strategy in place bef- <laughs> yeah. before the film was even written. I, I yeah, which I could well is a shrewd that. move. But yeah, also, yeah. obviously, the theme park in Jurassic Park has its merchandise. So if oh, you yes. just you, you you're killing two birds with one stone, it's like oh we've got this merchandise, the fake merchandise for Jurassic Park, and you go, yeah. well let's that just will soon use be that available in the shops. Yeah. <laughs> again, I, I think this is probably part of the criticism that gets levelled at Spielberg is because he's like a merchandising machine, isn't he? You know, because those are the sort of movies he's uh, predominantly was making. You know, like him and Lucas. I, w- yeah. I wouldn't see that as a criticism. Though. I mean, no, yeah. I think it's one of the things people use to criticise him. For, I, d- I mean, it's so- like it lessens his film work somehow because you just sell Happy Meals. It's that kind of you know when someone wants to degrade you in some way. You know, we, we've decided, like you said, we've decided today that you you're a bit much. We've had enough of your films. And then you start, you know, oh, you just sell Happy Meals, you just sell T-shirts. It's it's all a ploy. There's know? an element with that where it's kind of half a one and half a dozen of the other where you go, okay, let's level that criticism at Spielberg. Mm. But he wouldn't be doing it if people weren't buying it. Yeah. So as much as people go, as you say, people go, ah, he's a, it's a money-making thing. Mm. It's making money because people buy it. There's a, there is a market there because they want to consume Jurassic Park stuff. I'd like to see you make a movie <laughs> <laughs> that A, anybody likes, and B, 
is able to then generate the interest outside of the movie that a Steven Spielberg movie of this period could, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many stories of films kind of overestimating the amount of interest they have mm. and coming out with this all this merchandise, which ends up sitting in a warehouse that nobody wants, which even, ironically... Even, then becomes stuff that people want to purchase That's because it's, that, it's a yeah, rare yeah, item. Yeah. But I was going to say, even Star Wars has fallen flat on this a few times. Do you know what I mean? And arguably one of the biggest franchises in history. Um, even they had a lot of Jar Jar Binks toys left over, you know? And it, go, it, you know, it goes through kind of peaks and troughs where mm. people are really into it and then they drop off and then either new generations or the same people get back into it and it kind of goes through cycles. So... Yeah. So, a little bit more on the film. So, as you say, this was very much a summer blockbuster, June 11th, 1993. So, right at the start of summer. So, it's basically saying to all the rest of the summer blockbusters at the time, see if you can follow that. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, directed by Sp Steven Spielberg, as we have uh, already mentioned and spoke about briefly. It's based on a Michael Crichton novel of the same name and the screenplay was also had a hand in it was David Coep producers are Kathleen Kennedy and Gerald R. Mullen composer John Williams as we've previously mentioned and the cinematographer Dean Cundy so the fact that it's based on a, a novel again I think sets it up in having good good kind of foundations whereby it's that's the building block and you can you can add to it and you can go well that bit in the book we you can take that out we can develop mm. this we can look at that which i think is always a good not well i was about to say always but not always a good kind of start sometimes it hinders but i think in this case it it's set it's, up a lot of good things it's usually a good place to start if you're steven spielberg you know jaws was an was a novel, you know. Minority Report is based on the Philip K. Dick story. So, in, in the hands of, in the hands of someone like Steven Spielberg and the, and the writers he's going to bring in, it's you, it's a good place to start. You know, it's always a safe bet. And I do I remember when the film came out, people were talking a lot about the the science behind it, the DNA. DNA was kind of like. It was new, but it was a thing, you know what I mean? It was like, oh, DNA sequencing. We've learned how to sequence the genome or whatever. And there was a lot of, is this science possible? Is it plausible? Is it, are we, would we theoretically be able to find a mosquito? And they were like, yeah, it can be done. And obviously, whoever wrote who wrote the book? Sorry, I don't know. Uh, Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton obviously did his research before he wrote that book, you know? Well, well interestingly enough, he uh, he also wrote and directed the 72 film Westworld. I, you know when you forget a fact? Yeah. And, yeah. and obviously, it has similar themes, a theme, theme park, park gone yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah. And so, apparently, Michael Crichton had this idea bouncing about for a while mm. But he was always kind of going, well, how do you bring dinosaurs back? Oh, we found you know? some at the back of a uh, cave. It's not going to go down <laughs> too well, is it? They've been alive for all these years. <laughs> yeah. right. uh, and I think, obviously, in his research, found out that there is this kind of, you know, it's element that, there, yeah, yeah. Uh, however small a possibility, it's enough to write something. Uh, and the fact that he works on this film as a writer means that you kind of keep those kind of same uh, themes kind of throughout. Because sometimes, naturally, when you take somebody else's work and you, you, you create something with it, it sometimes 
goes in a completely direct direction. But Michael Crichton kind of obviously has kind of had a hand in this and kind of kept it on the same kind of wavelength. And part of the beauty of it is that, as you say, it has dinosaurs and it has those kind of bits that appeal to kids. But there is actually some real ethical kind of questions there for the adults who like to think about their films. They kind of go, oh, that's a very good, that's a good point, actually. Like, mm. if you could, would you? Should you? You know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, um, the sub-themes throughout the film aren't subtle. You know what I mean? There's there's the obvious, like you say, entertainment factor uh, for the kids or whatever, just the sheer entertainment factor for kids and grown-ups alike of dinosaurs. Who doesn't want to see people get eaten by dinosaurs, you know? And then there's all those... It's not subtle. It's all that man playing God. I mean, you can insert any sort of... You can insert global warming as the subtext. You can insert our treatment of animals on the planet in general as subtext. You treat, insert our treatment of human beings on the planet as the subtext. It all fits. It's all in there. I mean, it's not subtle that um, Hammond, it's dressed in white and has a big white beard like God. And, and then you've got Brundlefly himself dressed in black talking about chaos. It's all there in Front Street for you. So you don't have to overthink to get the subtext of it. But it's there, you know, it is that man playing God, should we, could we, yes, we can, but should you? And here's the question, it's like, it's, it's laced throughout the film, nature finds a way, your, your arrogance, all this sort of stuff is in there, which does give you something to think about while you're watching people get eaten by dinosaurs. That's <laughs> the perfect marriage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think one thing that it does really well and I'm, I, I couldn't even explain how it does this, probably other than casting. But if if you if you take what John Hammond does, mm. he essentially creates this whole theme park which ends up killing a lot of people. Mm. So you look at that and you go, ah, "There's some ethical questions there." Mm. And yet, I look at him and go, "It feels like my granddad." <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. and I think that's part of the. Did your granddad have a really bad Scottish accent as well? <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I think I got to like at least an hour and 40 before I realised, are we, are we supposed to be Scottish? He was like, it's the bit where he's sitting down at the table yeah. and he's explaining like his It goes first, in and out. And I'm like, yeah. I, it wasn't the accent. It was something he said. And I was like, oh, I went down to London or something and I had a flea right. market in Petticoat Lane. Yeah. And I was like, you're not from England. You're supposed to be Scottish, aren't you? Yeah, he's, he's doing his best Scrooge McDuck voice. Yeah. yeah. And, but but I think, you know, it's, again, That's it, I think it's probably casting more than anything, but I think that's a real kind of skill to be able to go, we're going to have this man who looks like everybody's granddad, who everybody kind of loves. And even before I've watched it the, the other day and made notes, I was thinking, oh, Richard Dickie Attenborough. Attenborough. The brilliant. It's brilliant, and it? he's you know mm. that's how I think of it, as opposed to right, right. oh that dude who done those horrible things that caused loads of people to die, which yeah. it is a is a different film. You can go down that route, but it doesn't. It kind of mm. it just presents it to you and goes do what do with it what you will. Yeah, yeah. I think I mean yeah. He's dressed like everyone's granddad. He has grandkids in it, which help. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, dressed like God playing God, you know. Um, but has a sort of um, 
childlike joy at it all. You know, the, the first time you see him in the caravan in whatever um, desert they're in, digging up bones, he sort of hops up on the counter when he's talking in a really subtle, childish sort of way. To so he's not pompous. He's not, um, you know, he's not a megalomaniac as such. He's like, he's like, has an innocence about the horror he's about to accidentally unleash. It's not done through malice. It's done through um, incompetence or something. You know, I told you we should have locks on those doors. It's one of those lines in the film. I'm like, you would have locks on the doors. It's one of those things that goes under the radar until you start looking at it a bit closer and you go, why do they not have locks? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, How do you not have locks on those We've doors? got... High how, yeah. fifty foot electrified fences, but no locks on the jeeps you're driving. And how did someone go? I told you we should have locks. And I like, I like the way where it that then becomes a like a little bit of a plot point where they have to say, you know, and do not don't leave the jeep. That shouldn't be an option for them. Why are you putting yeah. it in the hands of people who will naturally leave a jeep? Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, yeah. There's there's as you say, there's a childlike innocence there. Mm. And I think that appeals immediately to the kids, as mm. well as the fact that he's... He's the granddad you wish you yeah. had. He's I rich mean, that, and he's fun. That yeah. scene where he's he's on the stairs and the kids come in, he's like, Grandpa! And he's like, kids! Yeah. It's like, like, thanks for the presents. That's like, that's like, <laughs> you know, I think that, or certainly for me, that sums up how I felt going to see my granddad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so... And I think that, that, that'll be a massive appeal to... To a lot, to a lot of uh, younger audience members. So, obviously, we've spoken a little bit about uh, Dickie Attenborough. Mm. Uh, so, we've also it's a stellar cast of people who have become bigger things. But yeah. at the time, I wouldn't say there's anybody in there probably other than a Richard Attenborough who was a shall we say, a... Uh, movie star. A movie star and a, and a surefire hit, you know. Uh, Jeff Goldblum was was a movie star at this point. Yeah. Mm. He was the... He was... How did they always describe him? The thinking woman's hunk. That's how he was known because he'd already done The Fly yeah. and various films at this point. So he was a bona fide movie star at this point, uh, Jeff Goldblum. I, I, um, I, he perfected his I'm a bit weird status, you know, by now. As I say, it's difficult because I've got to put myself in the shoes of not knowing life before Jurassic yeah. Park. <laughs> uh, so it's difficult for me to say, but... Yeah. No, I mean, I think uh, Sam Neill, I think this was his breakout role. Um, yeah, yeah, before that, he's, he... He was in kind of, I think he was in the piano of the, the same year, uh, right. Hunt for Red October as well. But I, they were smaller roles. This mm. is, I think. Right. Yeah. I think. Uh, yeah. For sure. Um, old Brundlefly was a was a movie star at this point. I think it's a, they don't they do that thing in the in the uh, in the as a plot device where, like you say, Brundlefly himself is. Is a, he's a movie star at this point, so and he's a, the cool the cool dude in the film, and then they do that thing that they do in Deliverance, where they break his leg and take him out of action. So I I would assume I don't know for sure, but going into the movie, you're thinking, or 
Jeff Goldblum's the movie star. He's going to save the day. And then very early on, well, about halfway through the film, it takes about an hour for the film to really start, doesn't it? Instantly, the moment it goes wrong, he's taken out of action. They don't kill him because they can keep him in the cast, but it breaks seconds. And they do that in, or did that, sorry, in Deliverance with Burt Reynolds. He's the macho guy out of the group in Deliverance. He's the big, strong, jock, football-playing macho guy. And they break his leg. He's now useless. He's now, not only can he not save them, he's a hindrance. It's a very different movie, but it's the same plot device. So I would assume, and it, like I say, it's just guesswork, that going in, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be Jeff Goldblum. Brundlefly's going to save the day. And then they take him out. And Sam Neill, who no one had heard of, is is the hero of the piece, you know? Yeah, I mean, that sounds sounds like a, a pr- pretty pretty safe safe bet to make mm. as i say it's almost impossible for me to think of life before jeff goldblum was in jurassic Come, park you were alive for a whole year before this film came out all I right? know. you should remember I know. <laughs> how, how dare i uh but you know I'll probably, as i say probably apart from goldblum and richard attenborough most of them were probably in things but not necessarily the leads or a, a very large part uh, obviously, we have Laura Dern playing Dr. Ellie Sattler, mm. who I think is great in this because she doesn't follow this usual stereotypical run around screaming that you would probably expect from a lot of blockbusters of the time where yeah. damsel in distress. She's, you know, she's a paleobotanist, which just sounds like they've made up, but I think is a genuine <laughs> thing. It just sounds like they've gone, paleontologist, what's that but for plants? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I mean, there's a there is a little bit of that f- typical female character in it. She's I mean, they, they set up quite well, like you say. She's not running around screaming a lot. She's not. I mean, you have the kids that are there. Their their function is to to provide the peril. You know, they're in they're in danger. Um, when she encounters the raptor towards the end of the film, she does cry afterwards, and it stuck out to me because they were doing so well up until that point where she gets away and she bursts into tears. And I'm like, right there. I understand it's 1993, so that is what happens in films in 1993. But the fact that she had to cry afterwards, I was like, if you had just not done that, you would have got all of those brownie points for for, for having a really strong female character in this movie, you know. It's a small thing, but it's there. I imagine, not being a woman myself, I don't know. (laughs) But, um... I would imagine, as I imagine my wife, your sister, same person, in case you're wondering out there. <laughs> uh, not that Ryan just hangs around with his sister, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, I imagine that would annoy her. Oh, she, she's crying now. Why do they always have to cry? But apart from that, that one moment in the film, she's a really strong female character. She's certainly a step in the right direction. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm thinking more kind of, you know, we could have easily had. I feel bad for saying it because I realised Shelley Duvall went through some some pretty difficult stuff on the sh- Shining, but essentially mm. that kind of more the character than the actor, though. Yeah, isn't yeah. It? You know what I mean? That's uh, yeah. You yeah, are that... here to scream and cry and basically be saved. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, it's you know, there's a large large proportion of brownie points levelled there. Uh, Obviously, we spoke about Jeff Goldblum as Dr. Ian Malcolm and Richard Attenborough as John Hammond. We've got Bob Peck as Robert Muldoon, who is the uh, 
he's the gatekeeper, I suppose, is the, the clever girl. Yeah, the yeah, the, yeah. the bouncy. Not bouncy no, he's kind of like a safari dude yeah, who wears yeah. big socks and little shorts. Who yeah. I, I probably would say is my favourite character in the film. Right on. Purely because every line he has is pretty much pure exposition, but <laughs> it's delivered in a way where it's like. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, he's the dude yeah, who's yeah. again. You, Why are they not listening to him? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, shh, they're coming up to the Tyrannosaur paddock. You know, <laughs> lines yeah, yeah. like that, which kind of, yeah. for me, make him. However, one thing I will say to go on a diverse tangent: Saturday Night Live, and they've done a a few few of these. They released a unseen audition tapes mm. for Jurassic Park, right. and. They obviously have loads of them doing impressions and they have Bill Hader doing an impression as Alan Ader. Mm. So, MASH for anybody who doesn't know the name. And he does an impression of him auditioning for the role of Muldoon and he just goes, Clever girl! <laughs> that is a great line. It's brilliant. I'd yeah. just severely suggest anybody check that out. Yeah. So it's difficult for me to not hear that yeah, when I watch it. you can't separate the two. Yeah. But as I say, I, I do quite like Muldoon's character. It's kind of... Yeah. I like, you know, you kind of know as soon as, as, soon as the, the film starts... Uh, he's obviously going to get killed by the raptors. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The way he's talking about yeah. them, we should have, we should have killed you, them all. They're so smart. You can that. see yeah, when yeah. she when she they're looks thinking, at you, she's working things out. Yeah. Uh, again, it's that it's that English kind of nature to it as well, mm. where kind of I think a lot of the time in, in American films they kind of have an English either as the villain or as the person who knows what they're talking about. Mm. Which for any any American who's been to England will probably soon find out we very rarely don't <laughs> know what we're talking about. We've also got Martin uh, Ferrero as Donald Gennaro, so the the lawyer. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, that, I think that's played really well. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it, it fills a function. There's not yeah. a lot there, but it's it's a comedy device more than anything absolutely. else. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was thinking of the line from John Hammond: "I bring along two paleontologists to back me up, and the only one who's on my side is the black sucking lawyer." And yeah, he's like, yeah. "Thanks, thank you." <laughs> yeah. And then you can see him working Thanks. out what he's actually said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, not a very big role in this in this film. B.D. Wong playing Dr. Henry Wu. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, his character, One scene and you miss him. Right, yeah, 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 I think I could imagine probably in the book his his role is probably a lot larger because I think okay. the book does tend to focus a lot more on the science mm. elements, which kind of makes sense. Uh, and his character does then get fleshed out later on in the franchise. We have uh, Joseph Mazzello as... Little Tim Murphy and Ariana Richards as little Lex Murphy, who right, right. that's the first time I actually knew what their names were. Yeah, I took when you were saying their names, I was going, Hang on, oh, that's the kids, right? Yeah, I, remember, <laughs> yeah, I was looking yeah, at it going, Lex, she called Lex, <laughs> but it's one of the, their, their characters, as you say, are there to provide the peril. Mm -hmm. uh, and you've got to have kids in a kids' movie. Yeah, I mean, the way yeah. I kind of looked at it is it's got you know, if you kind of position yourself as an audience to be able to relate with the characters. So the two kids are there for the kids. Mm. And then you've got the, the the other elder actors playing, you mm. know, the role of the audience of finding everything out for for the older members of the audience. Uh, 
We also have a pre-Pulp Fiction Samuel L. Jackson. I, so yeah, right. He's he's. It's almost weird watching it now because you go. My wife said, "Is that Samuel L. Jackson?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah," and she's like, "I never knew he was in this film." I was like, it's pre-Pulp Fiction. Pre pulp, uh, pre pulp fiction. Yeah, nobody knew who he was. Well, that's really. a weird thing because I forgot he was in this film, and then he turns up, and I'm like, oh yeah. And then I'm like, I've got to check because in my head, I go, oh, he was in Do the Right Thing. Then he didn't do anything for like five years. Then he was in Pulp Fiction, and he was a movie star. So I had to go through Jackson's IMDb. I was like, oh, no, he'd already done Loaded Weapon with Emilio Estevez before this. And then there's a couple of other films in there. That I'm like... He's in Goodfellas as well. Yeah, yeah, in those bit parts. But he was he played the Murtar character in the spoof Loaded Weapon. Like, it was a main... And I always... I don't... I kind of always forget that film exists. I think it's quite good. I, can't, I wouldn't... Yeah, it's a Lethal Weapon spoof, it's sort of scary movie for Lethal Weapon. I forget it. Sounds like it's going on the list. Yeah, yeah we might as well <laughs> check it out. Isn't it? Yeah, um, I seem to call it being okay. I don't remember it being terrible, but I mean, it was, not, I think, 92, 91 that came out. I forgot he wasn't Samuel Jackson, Samuel Jackson at that point. And I forgot he was in this movie. And he's doing... He's doing his Samuel Jackson voice, but it is toned down a bit. He's not quite all the way, that's a tasty burger. You know what I mean? It's not all the way up there. Probably because half the time he's got a cigarette in his mouth. Every scene, <laughs> non-stop smoking, in it? In a kid's movie, it's so strange. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, as I say, it's one of those things where I think if you'd have had Samuel L. Jackson of a couple of years later in the film, mm. I feel it would have been... I mean, first of all, he wouldn't be playing that role unless it was fleshed out and had a lot more... Or I couldn't see him playing that role unless it was more fleshed out. You would have at least out. seen him get eaten by yeah. a dinosaur. Uh, yeah, as I say, that's the thing that feels a bit out of place is you go, how did they not show Sam... But again, at the time, we're yeah, looking at he it. Wasn't, it's, yeah. He's just, oh, it's that dude. As opposed to oh, Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, yeah. And then lastly, of the kind of main-ish characters, we have uh, Wayne Knight playing Dennis Needry. Yeah, and he's just... I mean, <laughs> so that's such movie. a perfectly cast... <laughs> because instantly, you kind of... there's you, you, you dislike him and liking him at yeah. the same time because you kind of go, he's a buffoon yeah. and he's doing some horrible things. He's quite funny yeah, at the same time. It's Newman from um, Seinfeld. That's like he was famous mm. as playing for playing Newman. And every time I love him, he's a great actor. He plays the same character in everything, but he plays it so well. And every time I see him, I just hear Jerry Seinfeld going, Hello, Newman. <laughs> and then Newman was like, Hello, Jerry. <laughs> it's like every time. Uh, but he's superb in this movie. He's so like if that opening scene with him. Where he's like getting all giddy. That uh, is it yeah. shaving foam in the yeah, can? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he wipes it on someone's dinner um, and then takes his shaving foam to work with him, which is very odd when you think about it. It's <laughs> just something that nobody's supposed to question. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you think about it. That there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's like, don't cheap out on the check and all of that. So it's just, he plays um, repugnant very well. You know? He, you know, easily one of the kind of underrated performances in the film because everybody will kind of talk about 
well, I don't know if they talk about the performances, but they definitely talk about other things. And then they go, oh, yeah, it's got, mm. you know. And what. I mean, his, his demise in the movie as well is superb. And he's like, I'm coming back to run you over. There's, there's, <laughs> there's literally one of the funniest moments in the film is after he's hit into the sign that says the East Dock. Mm. He puts it back up. He's, he then points it left. <laughs> and then he spins it round to point right. And he's like, <sighs> and then he just <laughs> randomly does it. And I was like, That's brilliant. You know, most yeah. people would just kind of go, oh no. And yeah. then the scene's over. Whereas whether or not it was in the script for him to do that, yeah, I'm I'd sure. Like to, it, I'm sure it would have been, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. it's superbly done. Yeah. You know, even things like, I mean, that scene, the his first scene where, you know, the shady kind of, I suppose, corporate espionage is going on, mm. and he's mm. like, Darkson over here, and he's like, don't use my real name, and he's like, <laughs> we've got Darkson, we've got Darkson here. It's like <laughs> that kind of sums up the film where it kind of goes. There's some seedy stuff going on, but. We don't. We're not going to bury ourselves in that too much. Mm. <laughs> Little hints at the uh, name of the podcast <laughs> there. That wasn't intentional. Uh, and then just kind of glosses over it, and then gets back to kind of the, the you know the more fun elements of it. Mm. And I think, as I say, I think shrewd move to have you know relative unknown. I'm not going to say completely unknown, but a. You know, a oh yeah, he fifth. was ninety three. He was like Seinfeld would have been one of the the if not the biggest show on TV. Yeah, and he was not. Uh, I mean, he's a regular in it. He wasn't in every episode, but he would have been. Yeah, famous at that point. You know, having somebody like Sam Neill and Laura Dern as you kind of your two main protagonists, mm. who you could, you know you could have easily gone for other names with more star power. And I think probably that would have ended up detracting away from everything else going on because you'd have been focused on, oh, it's such and such in that role. Whereas here, because the fact of, obviously now they've, become, you know, even though to be fair, Sam Neill, he's gone on to do other things, but it's not like he's a big, big movie star, shall we say, compared to some others. So it's kind of... Yeah, he didn't go on to become an action movie star did he yeah you know i can't think what i think i think of him as being in sort of serious po-faced drama type yeah movies, you know? and so you, you kind of he's a lawyer you, know, you kind sort of, of accept he's dr alan grant and don't mm. really question it any more than mm. than then if you had a you know a bigger name in there potentially so again that's i do a, i do struggle to buy him as the indiana jones-esque character in the movie do you know what i mean like i'm always looking for, um, I'm not always looking for that character. When you're watching this movie, you're like, well, he's got the, it's the Indiana Jones, he's a he's a professor, but he's also capable of action stuff. But it, to be fair, that's not really what this character is. But every time I sit down to watch it, that's what I'm looking at. And I don't buy it. I don't buy him as a Harrison Ford. No, and it always makes me think the casting's slightly off. I'm like, slightly off. But when but that really isn't the character he's playing. He is playing like a reluctant father, bookish, kind of grumpy old man who learns like the Grinch to love again. But yeah. <laughs> so like it's it's I think that's like more on me than it is on the film. I think he's going to be 
the the Indiana Jones character. I mean, it, the yeah. hat doesn't really do much. It's a, it's yeah. a bit on the nose, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And it's Spielberg, so you make those connections of really, course, really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably where, certainly Jurassic Park 3, where that kind of... I mean, there's lots of problems Is with that. Is he in the third? Yeah, he plays... He ends up going back to the island Is to save... No, 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 that's... The second one's Pete Postle. The second second one's essentially lost uh, dinosaurs in this city, essentially. I I, I can't remember anything from the second one at all. Oh, well, I thought the second one was when they would go back to the island, but that's the third. No, that's the third one. Right, yeah, I was getting confused. I think one of his friend's sons end up going there and gets lost or something. Mm. Uh, And so he's in that role then of being, I've done this before, I know what to expect, and it's a bit... That's the one where they're hang gliding on raptors or something, aren't they? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And so it's a bit, again, that's where I think that goes. As I say, Mm. in Spielberg's hands, it's kind of, he's kind of, let's not focus on that element of it. Let's Mm. focus more on the, you know, he's more, as you say, the father figure to these children who... You know, he's protecting them, but it's not like... It's reluctant, isn't it? You know, yeah, he's yeah. not... He doesn't like kids. He's not really that... <laughs> I mean, he is... Obviously, there's elements of him being the hero, but it's not really like without him that everybody would have died. He's not, he's not necessarily swinging on vines and uh, punching dinosaurs in the yeah, neck. Yeah, to the so theme much. music <laughs> yeah, every time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, one thing I, I do want to mention, going back to Wayne Knight, mm. I think... I can remember vividly the scene where he gets he get he comes across that dinosaur. I'm not even going to try to know what name dinosaur that is. Yeah. I remember watching that as a kid and being petrified of that. Just that whole scene, I would I literally hated it. It, wow. it, it wasn't until at least my early teens where I started to be able to kind of watch it a bit more without kind of going, I don't like it, I don't like really? it. Really? That's fascinating. Because there's just something about, I mean, first of all, it's got that, you know, it's got the, you know, it fans, it's kind of... It looks like Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Me, but yeah. <laughs> That'll probably help it not be as scary now. <laughs> You know that's or quite more. <laughs> that's quite scary, and obviously the scream it roars it does. Yeah, it's quite scary, and then it fires some black goo into his Snots eyes, on his and face, it's literally yeah. like that. I think probably shortly after I watched this for the first time, that would have been in many of my nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's out. He's out there on his own, yeah. trying to get away as well. Do you know what I mean? And then he comes across this dinosaur and. and you, I mean, you would have been a child when you saw it. Yeah, yeah. But you, you'll be going, oh, he's going to die now. Like it's all come, it's all setting up. So it's funny that it had that um, that deep an impact on you for that many years. It just one of those things where it was, even now there's like I can remember how it felt when I was scared of it. So even now I'm a bit like <laughs> just have a slight switch. Yeah. But it, it's funny how those fairly innocuous scenes or fairly small things have an effect on you when mm. you when you're younger and i think a lot of kids will have similar or you know very vivid and very real kind of experiences when they first watch this because there's so many things in here that where you kind of go that's a great moment mm. that's great you know oh there's a lot of money shots in this absolutely film. it's a lot it's like we, we sort of we're talking about a bit uh, uh earlier it it takes an hour for this film to start. Like, like it, it's interesting watching it now. 
um, where I'm like, nothing really happened. I checked the time when the, the when Newman turns everything off and tries to make his escape. It's like 56 minutes, I think. It's around that mark, somewhere around there. And the T-Rex, where's the goat gone? And all that's great bit, great moment. With dunk. <laughs> There's a goat leg on your top of your car, you know. Um, and I'm like, that's like an hour of the film. That's an hour setting up this, which is which is fascinating. It's, that's filmmaking right there, you know. And within that hour, they're showing you the special effects. They're showcasing the special effects. Problem I have with it now watching it is those special effects, especially the first hour's worth when it's daylight, don't look as good, obviously. Actually, they hold up reasonably well, you know what I mean? But they don't look as, they're not as breathtaking and as magical as they were 30 years ago. 30 years ago. <laughs> wow, it's the first time I realised. That's a petty drop moment. You hear, you heard it here first. It was in real time, yeah, 30 years ago. So yeah, they're not as uh, majestic and magical as they were. So that first hour I'm going, oh yeah, it's, it's in my head I'm doing that critiquing things, help, hold up all right, it's, they're not too bad, they're ropey, it's a bit like walking with dinosaurs now, but you know, that's what happens with special effects. And then you get to that hour mark and where's the T-Rex? And here's the T-Rex. And the, and those special effects lend themselves really well to dark, wet <laughs> lighting tech, like most things in Hollywood do. You want to make it look good, make it dark, make it wet, you know. That sounded creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I meant the scenery! <laughs> and just like that, we've been cancelled. <laughs> I meant, I meant the pavement. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it, and so you get to that middle part of the film when it really starts going. And then you, it, then it is a lot like a, a roller coaster. It really is going. It's like a theme park ride at that point. Yeah, one, one thing I, I kind of noted is it's, you know, it's not how, it's how quickly things escalate. Mm. It's not, you know, if you, as you say, hour into the film of a two hour film and you've got a lot to do in that second hour mm. because the first hour is purely just setting things up, purely, you know, build up to, you know, you, you don't, apart from that, you know, the very classic, as you say, money shot where it's, you know, them seeing the dinosaurs for the first time mm. and then the little bit with the triceratops. Yeah. Yeah, uh, sorry, that's what I was saying. Yeah, so that's what I kind of got sidetracked. Yeah, the money shots in this film, there's a lot of them. So you have those opening scenes. First, on the, 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 I always think it's pregnant. It's not a pregnant, it's a sick dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like you're saying, they see the, the diplodocuses, diplodoci, whatever. Um, yeah, you know I mean, and it's all leading up to you want to see the T Rex. That's the big boy you want to see. You know, you're not, you see them feed the, um, the raptors, but you don't see the raptors and all that. And then you get that money shot of the eye, the foot, here it is coming over, chasing. And it, all the way through, there's moments like that peppered throughout. Like you say, those really, and the special effects in those moments are amazing. And like that bit at the end with the T-Rex next to the T-Rex skeleton and the little wafting, is it dinosaur? Dinosaurs live, whatever it is it says. When dinosaurs ruled the That's earth. That's it, yeah, yeah, subtle. <laughs> <laughs> but that, the you, the moment at the beginning of the film when they're walking up that staircase, that shot is already in my head of the, the roaring T-Rex at the end of the movie. Great little moments. Yeah, and there's, there's 
if you think about the first hour, you don't actually see a lot of dinosaurs. No. Like, and that's that's the brilliance of it because it builds up the anticipation. As you say, all you want to do is you want to see the T-Rex. I did that thing where, you know, they get out, should have put locks on the door, and they get out and they find the sick... I'm going to say Triceratops. It is a Triceratops. Is it? Yeah. Because yeah. I thought it was a Stegosaurus. Yeah. And then I realised that resembles the the Black Rangers Power Ranger thing. Oh, because that's Triceratops. Ah, there so. you go. So, so uh, that scene in my head is the scene with the running Vegisaurus, whatever they're called. What are they running from, you know? Yeah, That yeah, comes yeah. later on in the film. That in my head, that had been switched around. But like you say, you're not seeing huge amounts of dinosaurs up until halfway through. They're peppering it just enough to keep you interested, to keep it like, oh, wow, look at those special Essentially, effects, you, so know. you don't forget it's a dinosaur movie. Yeah, so you're not you going, know. can we get to the dinosaur? Because they even say when they're in the car, can we have some dinosaurs in your dinosaur theme park? <laughs> so imagine if the first half of the film was like that, you know. And there's there's so many moments where... The, the characters are kind of saying what the audience are thinking. So, like, there's that point where you got, they, they watch the video, mm. uh, explains how the process of what they've done, et cetera, et cetera, which I think is a really good narrative device for having lots of exposition mm. and not have it be a character going, they can have it, oh, they're watching a video and the video tells you these things. So, you can, it's kind of, it's more acceptable because you realise the characters are kind of in the same boat as you. But even at that point, I would say it's I would say it's borderline acceptable because they're on a theme park ride, and that is exactly yeah. how that would go down. Part of me, I do that thing in my head of "Show me, don't tell me," which is like the, the first rule of writing, and they're definitely telling you. However, it does fit within what, like, so you kind of accept it. You go, okay. I'm going to let it go because let's be honest, we, as, as moviegoers, we do want to know how you've done this. We also want to get to the bit yeah. where someone gets eaten, you know. But so, in that yeah. same scene, what's good about it is that you have uh, Goldblum, Neil, and uh, Dern all basically go, uh, yeah, don't really want to watch it. Okay. And, and then they push the guard up yeah. and then they're out there. And yeah. that's exactly what the audience are doing. They're going, yeah, all right, we want to get to some more dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of, it teases you just enough so that you're interested without getting bored. But you're also like, I want to see some dinosaurs. Mm. And as you say, when, when it becomes, everything escalates and it becomes that thing of that first moment where you see, you know, you see the T-Rex eye how different that would have been if they'd have used CGI throughout and not had mm. a blend of CGI and animatronics. Yeah, that's what I do like about this film because is, is the animatronics. The animatronics. The they, they didn't completely abandon it. You know? Essentially, uh, anytime you see a whole dinosaur, it's CGI. Anytime you see part of a dinosaur, it's animatronics. Mm. And that blend is really, really good because it feels a lot... It, tactile isn't it yeah, yeah it's, it's tangible that, the more you see something the more you can pick out its flaws mm. and so you can't really do that with either because it goes okay this is animatronic mm. here's what it is this now now we're going to go to some cgi now we're going to go back to animatronic. so you can't really watch it and go well that looks a bit ropey that mm. looks mm. you can still do that if you're being really critical yeah. but generally speaking i find i find around this 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 era where i mean there's a good i think it takes 
maybe they, I was about to say, I think it takes about 10 years, maybe 15 years for Hollywood to work out how to use CGI properly. But I don't even think that's right. I think they still haven't really worked it out. I think they overdo it. And the ones that interesting is like the films. That, it's interesting to me, the films that still hold up years later are the films that don't go all in on CGI. Because the problem with CGI is it gets dated. So those films that mix it up, with practical effects, animatronics, puppetry, stunts, whatever it is, blood pack, blood packs, you know, anytime they're using a practical effect mixed in with CGI, those films hold up for a lot longer than films that just go all in on the computer graphics, you know. Phantom Menace being an obvious um, example, George Lucas went all in, all in on um, CGI. And it dated really quickly. And Peter Jackson did a mixture of miniatures, puppets, masks, computer graphics, did through every trick available at those Lord of the Rings movies. And they held, they, they do look ropey now, but they held up for so long, like way longer than The Phantom Menace did. And I think Phantom Menace is 99. I, I, Oh, I want to say the first Lord of the Rings films around 2000. So this, they're, they're in the same era of special effects, you know. And that difference. And Spielberg, obviously being the, the filmmaker he is, he wouldn't have necessarily known this is going to look dated. But he knew he knew instinctively, I would, set, I would guess, that we should have a mix here. I don't want all of it to be a green puppet on a, a green sock on a stick while someone goes, whoa, you know what I mean? And he was, and he's right, because those moments are what really hold up in this movie, you know? I think it's a safe bet that if you're going to use CGI, there will come a time where it, it it's dated, because that's just how technology goes. Mm. Eventually, you're going to get to a point where, mm. you know, I think we're almost there now with things like deep fake and stuff like that, where it's, yeah. it's so hard to tell that, it doesn't, you know. Uh, so I think it's it's it is difficult, and I th as I say, it takes somebody who is shrewd enough to be able to work that out. And I'm not saying that you know people like George Lucas weren't shrewd enough, but I, I I I've definitely been in that. I can remember when I was doing media at college, and I was playing around with effects on a video, and I was like, this is really fun. And it's almost like it's new toys. There was nobody around me to tell me. Yeah, you need to stop now. You need, <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, stop yeah. with the effects and let's do something yeah. else. So, yeah, I think, and it's to it's to the it's to the credit of mm. of this because it, you know, well, I mean, you, you look at if you look at um, the Star Wars films and TV shows that are being made now, they all use a mix of animatronics, puppet, we'll just say practical effects and computer-generated effects because they all learned a lesson. In George Lucas's defense, he was like, this is where it's at. Look how good this looks. Nothing is going to look as good as this. Nothing we have available can do what I want it to do the way this can. And he was just over, overly confident in it. It's not really his fault. He was right, to be fair, at that moment. Problem is, like you're saying, it, technology moves on and you, you were right yesterday and tomorrow you're, you're looking a bit ropey.
Venice sold shares in the Galactic Empire's Death Star project. Did you lose money due to bad planning and failed insurance policies? Well, don't worry. We're here to help and you could be eligible for compensation. Here at Find and Fleeceman and Flea, we've helped millions of people just like you claim the compensation that is rightly theirs. That's right, millions of people just like you have already claimed you could be next. Were you not made aware of the potential danger to your investment posed by the insurgent rebel army? The Empire has put aside billions in galactic credits for compensation for losses due to intergalactic terrorism. Let the team here at Find em, Flee, Some and Flee get you the money you deserve. No win, no fee. Call Find em, Flee, Some and Flee on 0800 Vapor Chasers for your free no obligation consultation today. And it could have been very easily, could have been something a little bit different. So, obviously, based on a book before it was a film. And it was, uh, so six studios were obviously all vying for the rights to it mm. before ultimately Universal ended up getting the rights and appointed Steven Spielberg. But some other directors who could have potentially directed this, Tim Burton. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a very, very different film. <laughs> Uh, Richard Donner, which I can see that. Uh, Joe Dante, who I can't for the life of me think of something he's worked on. But no, so but you know, again, he hasn't made a movie for a very long time. You know, I think I think he's an eighties director, shall we say? I know the name when you say it. I go, all right, yeah, he does action movies, and then then I'm like, what action? (laughs) There will probably be people going, he done this. You've named that film he made three times in this (laughs) episode. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so again, choices very quickly that could go in a completely different direction. Uh, And in you know, in terms of casting, so and again, going back to what I was saying earlier about casting somebody like Sam Neill, who wasn't a bankable movie star, I think works, or as opposed to having someone a bit more uh, a bit more established. So William Hurt was apparently offered the role, okay, but turned it down without reading the book or the script. So he he very quickly went, no, not for me. He was he was early on the I hate Spielberg train then, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the part of Muldoon, Brian Cox. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, all, all, right. I can, all I can imagine is <laughs> is what he's like in succession now. <laughs> so how that just becomes very, very different. Yeah. yeah. Telling the velociraptors to, velociraptors to F off every time he gets a chance. Yeah. Uh, interestingly, to do with uh, the two, ch- two kids who were cast, I mm. would say it's one of... And again, Spielberg's probably probably a master of this, whereby 
it's kind of an old adage that, you know, never work with animals or children. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the only films, there are obvi- others obviously, but one of the only films where they, the children don't detract away from the film. You don't, I'd never, perhaps it's because when I first watched it, I was similar age to them, but I never watch it and go, it's a great film. But the kids annoy me, like I do with so right, many other things. Right, yeah. You know, I find the little boy quite annoying, to be honest. But I think that—that's the point. He's that's supposed to be black, a little bit annoying. Heart. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, can he get eaten? Go that, on, eat him. <laughs> <laughs> but that, to be fair, that's his character. He's supposed to be a little bit annoying. Yeah, He's supposed yeah. to be a bit like, "Will you shut up? I'm just trying to watch a dinosaur here, mate." And you're yeah. yabbity yabbing on. Yeah. Well, he uh, is. He is. You know what you say? Uh, he is the audience. He's the the. Uh, the demographic, the child demographic watching that film, that is who they are. That's how I, the yeah. way he behaves, is how I would have behaved if I was him. You know what I mean? At his age. And you know. personally, I kind of see myself as him, not as mm. in terms of like uh, into dinosaurs, mm. but when I'm into something, because particularly at that age, I used to just talk and talk and talk. Yeah. And much like my sister, his sister and it is kind of just like, yeah. <laughs> a bit like, I can I can neither confirm or deny this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she listens to this, but she might. <laughs> you know, it's it, as I say, it's she's a wonderful woman, your sister, right? <laughs> How dare you! <laughs> I, it's it's not a critique of her. I think it's more a it's she more is more a, cynical than you, I guess. <laughs> I don't think it's cynical. I think it's again much like the character in the film. It's an element of like. I've been listening to him talk about this the whole way here. Oh, that look. I yeah. get that look from her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, he's talking about podcasts again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do know I'm pregnant, right? <laughs> Can you talk about the baby instead of films? You know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's quite, again, it's it's quite interesting that I, you know, that the, the, the kids aren't detracting away from it. And one of the things that happened at uh, Ariana Richards' audition, who plays Lex Murphy, so her audition consisted of standing in front of a camera and screaming. Right. right. And Steven Spielberg said, I just wanted to see if you can show fear. And to be fair, that's that's her character in a, in a bit of a nutshell, screaming at things. Yeah. And because it's a child or a young you know, a young person. Mm. That's why it works. That's why it's not for me. You know, it's you could have easily had damsel in distress being that character. Yeah, I was about to say that then enables them to not do that with the Laura Dern character throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah. you've got that in another facet, so you mm. don't need to have that because unfortunately yeah. at the time, and to be fair, even now, that just seems to be what happens. Oh, it's the women who are screaming and mm-hmm. are scared of everything as opposed to... Yeah, I think I've, I feel like we've turned a corner with that now, but I mean, literally now. I mean, within the last year or two, I feel like that's changed. Yeah, yeah I'd agree. I'm, I think up until then. Uh, and, and just on that, Dr. Ellie Sattler uh, could have quite easily been played by Robin Wright, who at the time had done The, uh, the Princess Diaries. Princess Diaries. Right. Is that the one with Andre oh. the Giant? <laughs> like, oh, and the Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Yeah, Sorry, Princess I Diaries apologize. Anne Hathaway, isn't it? No, yeah, yeah, that's Anne Hathaway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally confusing the films. Right, Robin, right, yes, I do know who you mean, because I... And, oh, and for, more, Bride, for, yeah. for more recent, uh, she is the wife in House of Cards, or... Of course she is, yeah. Uh, and at the time, yeah, again... I could see that. 
I, you know, and there's nothing wrong with Laura Dern. It's just, in, I th- always find it interesting when you hear about different people who could have been cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the role of John Hammond, we could have had an actual Scott in the form of Sean Connery. But I... Th- oh, I th- yes. <laughs> He's a lot less friendly, if you ask yeah. me. <laughs> Welcome to my park. <laughs> Suddenly, <laughs> everything becomes a little bit more sinister and a bit more like... You I, just- I want to see that film, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Only because of the film, how it exists now, I now want to see uh, Sean Connery in that role. I really do. <laughs> I chuck his DNA. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the only one who's on my side is the blood-shucking lawyer. Yeah, blood-shucking lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and naturally, he turned that down because I think he was... Uh, not, not interested. <laughs> yeah, I think he'd got to that stage where he perhaps wasn't quite on board with playing those types of characters just yet. Obviously, he played... Right. Uh, Henry Jones Senior in yeah, the last crusade. Yeah. So 89. four years later he perhaps wasn't quite he still wasn't I think he probably still wanted to be kind of leading man at that point. I, I I'm assuming he seems like the type of character. No idea. Uh I personally in terms of yeah, it being quite funny. I kind of it wouldn't be funny if it had happened. It would just be the yeah. film. It's just funny to us I now. Think, I think know? if if it had been Sean Connery in that role, yes, I mish, think mish it, Raptor. I think it would have totally detracted away from everything else because you'd be going, "That's James Bond yeah. at theme park, <laughs> angry what, what with dinosaurs." Is he supposed to be Scottish? Yeah. <laughs> who knows at this point? <laughs> We've got a cheat action. Look at that magic. Uh, he uh, Spielberg obviously had a long-standing relationship with Richard Dreyfuss, who, of course, yeah. who could have also been. Again, it's, this a diff- as, it's a very different take, though. Yeah, it's a it's Richard a much Dreyfuss. more. Thi- I would say a much more thinking man's character. If you have Richard Dreyfuss in there, I've always seen Richard Dreyfuss as a lot going on. In- yeah, I don't get warm and fuzzy from Richard Dreyfuss. I get uptight and angry from Richard Dreyfuss. Almost feels like he's a bit more of a fit for Ian Malcolm's character, if anything, because he's that kind of guy and you shouldn't be doing this and there's there's a bit of an anger A younger, a younger Dreyfuss for sure, yeah. Uh, How old would he have been in 93? I think he would have been a little bit too old to play a sort of an mm. action adventurer type of character at that point. Like like him in his Jaws era playing Hooper. Hooper works in Jurassic Park, I don't know if if the dad from Stand By Me, I mean, he's basically just a narrator, but you know what I mean? I think he probably aged out of playing those yeah. sort of roles at that point. And I, th- I, I think looking at some of the, the possible castings that we've just mentioned, I think that was probably a turning point where they went, we probably need somebody just a little bit younger as opposed to someone who's at that, that kind of age. You know, William Hurt was probably at the... Uh, on the older side of things compared to someone like Sam Neill. And it's funny, like, as, as we talk about casting, I was thinking about something you you were saying earlier about casting unknowns. Like, you have a couple of marquee names mm. um, because you have the studio will always insist on having at least one person that someone's heard of. But I always find it, I always find it fascinating and interesting when, when films are cast with people you don't know because... It, it's safe to assume that they are exactly who the director wanted if you've never heard of them. 
It's, you know what I mean? It's, you, there's no way they went, we need a star. Here's someone you've never heard of, you know? So at that point, you're like, I'm assuming this is exactly who you wanted. This yeah. is who that character is. They're the, per- they're the best person yeah. for this role. You know, they yeah. had the best audition. Mm. There's a bit more kind of, I wouldn't say credit to it, because I think, obviously, when you have big stars, they have their place. But certainly, certainly when it's more unknowns, you kind of go, You at, at that point, you're never really going to be distracted by their name value. Mm. It know? also gives you the op- op- uh, opportunity to not know what that character's going to be. Like, no disrespect to Dwayne Johnson, but you know he's the hero. He's the Will Smith of the 21st mm. century. Do you know what I mean? If Will Smith or The Rock's in a film, he's going to be the the hero. Even if he starts off the film as not the hero, by the end of the film he will be, because that's his shtick, you know? If it's someone you've never heard of, it gives you a chance to find your way through it as you're watching the film, learn who the character is without that pre-assumption you know yeah because when you do that you're always going to be working up here you're always going to be going mm. you know sometimes you can use that as you say a little bit with ian malcolm's character they kind of done that and say oh he's going to be the hit no he's going to break a leg no he's not so they've used that to their advantage but it's very sometimes that can be the you know the the tipping point of success or not success mm. with the film uh and you know some of the other names Dennis Quaid, Kevin Costner, Mel Gibson, Robin Williams, also considered for Alan Grant. I think the first... Dennis think, Quaid, yeah. Dennis Quaid could have done. Kevin Costner a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Dennis uh, Quaid was a, was a movie star at that point, so you know he's going to be... He's mm. going to make it to the end, is what you'll be thinking, you know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder if that's... Actually, yeah, to be fair, I wonder if that's an element of it. He's going to get eaten. He's, like, she's going to get eaten. He's not. He's famous. You know, they bring in yeah. that element of the unknown. You think this is the person who's going to yeah. be eaten. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, just a couple of other things for the role of Hammond, which I, again, a little bit on the same You're lines as Sean Sean Connery. So, apparently, Marlon Brando was a consideration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, again... I can't see this at all because I just Clint Eastwood. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, he was. I mean, I guess. I mean, physically, he was probably old enough to play that role. But he's the right age. He's not the right type of character, (laughs) is he? He doesn't feel like your granddad, (laughs) unless your granddad's a bit angry. (laughs) I just see you say that. I just think of Gran Torino, um, (laughs) the character which Grant get out of my park. (laughs) Uh, And you know, if you think, if you if you then cast one of those names, then the whole feel in some elements of these characters changes entirely. So, and it is so easy to kind of go one way or the other. Mm. And luckily for Jurassic Park, it's gone. What well, I think it is the right, is the right, right way, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. I think for the most part, it's, it's, it's the casting is right, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and one thing I did find quite interesting, actually, going back to uh, Wayne Knight, I believe mm. his name is, who played Nidri. Yeah, that's he, right. Yes, that's right. He Dennis. was the first actor to be cast. Was he really? And you think, they oh, uh, let's yeah. start with the heroes. Let's start with the main character. No, let's let's start with that character. Yeah. And again, brilliant. Well, maybe, yeah, I mean, maybe it's just like, we're going to have to spend more time on these 
characters. But when I read this, I see Newman. (laughs) Hello, Newman. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's interesting, man. Kind of makes sense. Yeah. And I I think it's safe to say that most of the actors who are in this have gone on to do, I wouldn't say bigger and better things, but have gone on to do, you know, quite good, They've had good careers, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. A couple of them. So, for example, uh, Ariana Richards, obviously young young age when she was in this, hasn't really done anything since then. But that's mainly because she's decided she doesn't want to go into into that thing. I think, and it's, you know, I did read somewhere that she developed quite a keen interest in uh, dinosaurs and actually accompanied the... uh, the paleontologist who was on who was on hand to kind of fill in those kind of uh yeah the expert, theore- right. yeah the yeah, expertise yeah, yeah. and things jack horner actually accompanied him on some digs wow you that's, know so that's brilliant yeah. that's again just feels like such a wholesome kind <laughs> it of does, thing it's like, you know like, she, i was looking at you and you're like she developed an interest so i'm going in dinosaurs dinosaurs <laughs> and you're like in paleontology i was like perfect you know, yeah yeah Oh, that's, uh, that is brilliant. Like, you're much, yeah. I mean, that sounds to me, it's like you were in this huge movie and you're like, do you know what? I'd rather just go be a paleontologist. That's, that just sounds perfect. It's like a, an, a perfect story, isn't it? You know? It'd be interesting, not that you could probably ever capture this data, but young kids going into paleontology pre and post Jurassic Park. Yeah. Because yeah. I gar- obviously it goes without saying guarantee the numbers are going to have a sharp incline must off you know i i was about to say i wasn't into dinosaurs before (laughs) i was one so i wasn't into much much stuff other Uh, than staying alive Uh, (laughs) to remember that dinosaur onesie you had (laughs) yeah but up until i i actually saw it i can't remember being into dinosaurs mm. and I, i'm not going to say i'm into dinosaurs now but it's the thing where you kind of go oh, he's right. still wearing that dinosaur onesie <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm in it now right uh, now <laughs> you know and that's that's a quite a difficult thing to do for what is essentially quite a niche market to take something which isn't isn't going to be necessarily i think it's difficult now where we kind of think well of course dinosaurs are people are interested in it because mm. of what's happened post Jurassic Park but possibly I, I don't know I always liked dinosaurs as a kid who doesn't like dinosaurs I love watching dinosaurs like like I, I like really like sharks right and whenever I see like documentaries about sharks I'm like around when dinosaurs were around and that's the first like maybe not the first thought I have but it's always in there I look at a, a shark and I'm thinking like it's basically a dinosaur do you know what I mean it's a smaller version but it's basically a dinosaur but yeah things things with big teeth that can eat people man like, what's not to like it's kind of the, the, the element of like the unknown you know obviously we've got scraps essentially to work mm. off of and to form a you know, a picture of what life was like on Earth sixty-five <laughs> million years ago. Well, I went, I went to that. You know, walk, remember walking with dinosaurs? Yes, used yeah, a lot yeah. of the same technology. They had a, a show at the the Millennium Dome where they had 
life-size animatronics. Now known as the O2 for the people that, who went, don't know what the Millennium Dome is. I was went to say the O2 and I was going, no, it wasn't the O2. It probably was called the O2 when I went, to be fair. Um, yeah, they, a few years back, um, me and my wife, and I think my mum, went to um, the O2, the Millennium Dome, and watched their life-size, they took you through the Jurassic, 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 yeah, whatever it was, yeah, and showed you all the dinosaurs. It was people in suits that look, it will look good. And they had like a, a life-size T-Rex. I don't remember if they had the whole thing, but its head was ginormous. And I was probably in my late 20s. <laughs> I mean, and I was like, can we go see the dinosaurs? You know what I mean? But that wouldn't have existed without Jurassic Park, to be fair. And it was, even though I was watching clearly men in suits, very good suits, don't get me wrong, um, dressed as velociraptors or what have you, and clearly an animatronic um, T-Rex head. It was still like that little child inside you still going, ah, dinosaurs! <laughs> you know? um, and for me, that wasn't an effect from Jurassic Park. But I think you're right. I think for millions upon millions of, of children who watched that movie would have developed a love, much like yourself with dinosaurs afterwards. Yeah? I think it'd be really interesting to speak to some paleontologists and to see whether or not they like or dislike the influence that Jurassic Park has had. Right, yeah, yeah. Because much like anything when it's in pop culture, anything that's mentioned in Jurassic Park in terms of dinosaurs and the science of things Mm. becomes fact. Right, right. So... How many people think they know about dinosaurs <laughs> because they've seen Jurassic Park? How many paleontologists got into paleontology because of Jurassic Park, then found out all the things that are wrong in Jurassic Park and now get angry about it? That's what, you Vel- know... Velociraptors the- aren't actually that big, you know, that sort of... Like, someone told me, it was your sister, that Velociraptors aren't actually that big there probably about you know table yeah that was something. a Spielberg yeah. thing he wanted them bigger bigger yeah you know yeah. which to be fair it's probably like most things just make it bigger you know yeah, that's yeah. essentially what the rest of the franchise done yeah okay the T-Rex what can we do let's create the Adominus Rex it's like a T-Rex right, but it's yeah. angrier is that not a real dinosaur then I don't think so is it not it doesn't sound like one the Adominus <laughs> the ginormous Rex but, that, <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing you like even unobtainium even that always the, sticks the, in my head the scene where he's explaining to the you know the slightly arrogant kid about how the velociraptors hunt yeah i could imagine that that's probably just something that sounded cool in terms of a script whether or not it's true or not you know i wonder how they would know that uh so it's one of those things where study them in the wild (laughs) (laughs) where it probably it probably kind of goes both ways in terms of Hmm. you know yeah that cultural impact that it had but also uh, the hatred it probably inspires and the people that it inspired to get look more into it in the first place. Mm. Yeah. I, and part of it, some elements that, that I like about this is the fact that, you know, the theme park itself is kind of, it's very kind of, as you say, it's on the nose and it's really kind of obvious. Mm. But like it does kind of create that kind of, feeling of you know how we consume things as a as a society and all these kind of things where it's like what will we do for our own entertainment Mm. you know and obviously in this instance let's go and see 
all of these creatures that could kill us, and even the you know the big, what are the things with the big tall necks is that Diplodocus? Uh, they, I think they say Diplodocus now. But yeah. Yes, Diplodocus to me, man. But even yeah. those which are herbivores, Vegisaurus, I think and, they call them in the films. In all they? likelihood, they would kill you in an instant because I said that just, when I was just, just the film. because of the the, yeah. the size of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. you got, I, like, I was like. They're like, oh, it's, he's a Vegisaurus, he won't harm us. I was like, I don't think that's how it works. Yeah. Like, you know, like elephants are, are vegetarians. They, they kill a lot of people, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. so, you know, and so it's kind of, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a step into that kind of field of like, if, you know, um, again, probably because it comes from Michael Crichton, who had that kind of similar idea of Westworld. Mm. And, you know, he's even kind of said that his vision of Hammond is like a dark Walt Disney. Right. You know, on, yeah, and that, yeah. you know, that, that is a, that's not a leap to make. That's kind of really kind of quite easy to kind of do where you yeah. kind of go, he, he, he kind of, you know, he says, oh, he, everybody in the world, and he should see this, you know, needs to see this. I don't want it to be for the super rich or whatever. But it's almost a thing of like... No, and then the lawyer says, yeah, we'll have a coupon day. Yeah. And they both go, <laughs> <laughs> poor people. I mean, yeah. they added that line. But that's what they're doing, <laughs> laughing at the peasants. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I find that kind of subtext and that... You know, yeah. those themes. Well, there's, there's really talking interesting. Of, of the subtext and the themes in it. Um, there's a moment in it that I'm sure it's on purpose. And it's a scene you've already mentioned where Hammond's sat eating the ice cream as it goes off and surrounded by his tacky merchandise and the empire that he's built. And I'm like, that's Steven Spielberg. Spielberg's literally talking about himself in that scene. That scene is, look at all of this I've created. It has no substance. It has no value. It's all very pretty. It's all a flea show. It's all smoke and mirrors. It's tricks for entertainment. It has no depth. And you realize at the same time he's making this film, he's making Schindler's List. And Hammond, in that instant, is clearly represents a part of Steven Spielberg's soul that is like, I need more than stupid blockbusters. He's like, it's it's so on the nose. He's stuffing his face with the ice cream because it's going off and it's just indulgence. Look at this, this empire. Look at all of these things I have. They are worthless to me. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'd never noticed it before, you know? And it's just that little bit put in the film just there that little bit of that little bit of autobiography a little bit of the director's own soul his own self put into the movie right there and then he went on for best part of 10 years to make heartfelt deep movies you know i'd never really made that connection before mm. and now you've said it, it makes so much sense because as you say he goes on to do things which were has more heart to them. Yeah, I, I'm, you know. I'm pretty sure Hammond literally says that this is all devoid of meaning at one point, which is such an odd phrase unless you view it in that context. And it's Spielberg saying, it's like he's talking about the, the there's no fleas. It's not, none of this is real. And I was like, and I'd never noticed it until I was watching it today with a critical eye. And I saw it and I couldn't unsee it. It was like that, the artist inside the blockbuster director saying, I need more, and went on 
to do more, you know. Not that there was anything wrong with what he'd done, but Jaws is one of my all-time favourite movies, you know. So do you think that will inhibit your viewing of this in later viewings? Do you think it will change the way you view the whole thing in general? How do you mean? Well, do you think you'll you'll see it with a much more cynical eye than perhaps you did previously? No, no, I don't think so. I think like... I like I'm, I think I'm capable of holding the two thoughts simultaneously in my head. That you sure? I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Many would disagree. <laughs> but no, I I don't I don't devalue action movies. Clearly, if anyone's listened to any other episodes of this, they'll know. I don't I don't I don't view horror as a lesser art form. I don't view action movies when they're done well as a lesser art form. I don't view blockbusters with their tacky merchandise as somehow lesser than a film that makes you sit there and question the nature of reality. I don't... It's all part of the same thing. And it's the great thing about all art forms is you can pick and choose the things that you like. Like, you don't have to hate on the things you don't like. You can just... That's not for me. That's for me. This is for me. So I, I can hold in my head that Steven Spielberg is capable of making these fantastically entertaining... Because I like entertainment as much as anyone, you know? And he's capable of making those fantastically entertaining, big roller coaster Jaws, Indiana Jones, Jurassic Parks, those kind of movies. And I can also understand that inside of him is a, is a creative artist... Um, who wants to do a little bit more. And, and like uh, he's, He wants to explore darker themes, more mature themes as he's getting older. And that's not to say that those movies before are somehow less. It's just a different form. It's like, it's like liking country music and hip-hop. You could, you're allowed to like both. You know, they are, they're not the same thing at all, you know, but they speak to different parts of the soul, don't they? Yeah, all... All art forms and all genres and all things have their plates, don't they? It's yeah, not all valid. You yeah. know, I think that's probably one of the things that I like about this is that it it has it. You know, this can be just the film, as I said earlier, that you can stick on on a Sunday afternoon mm. and just have it and just consume it and not think about it. Mm. Dinosaurs killing people, great. Mm. Let's watch some of that. But there is that if you do like to look a little bit deeper, if you do like to think and you do like to, you know, have a bit more of a a subtext or a theme, it's all there. Yeah, okay, it may not go too deep into it and it may be kind of shoved in your face, but it, it asks some, some real kind of deep questions. And actually, I, I was watching this the, the other day and I was thinking there's a scene where they're all at the dinner table and... Uh, they're talking about, you know, you could, but you never stop to say you should and all these things. And, mm. you know, and he says, some, I think he says that, you know, well, dinosaurs, you know, had their time. What's the difference? And he says, well, the difference is, is that nature selected them. Mm. And, For extinction. You know, yeah. and said, your time is up and moved on. Mm. Right. And yeah, it, the other one is to do with uh, environmental issues that we've created. He's talking yeah, about some yeah. bird that's going extinct. And there's, and a, you know, there's an element of like you know, not going too in-depth into the global warming kind of mm. thing. I'm not a denier. I do believe it's real. But there's an element of where you kind of, because of the questions it's asking, you go, is this, where does nature stop and where does man intervene? Yeah, well, global warming is nature's way of redressing the balance. So if you believe in global warming, 
Um, I, I do. Don't worry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the argument. I think now no one argues where it's real. People argue how it happened. Is oh it, no! Yeah. A lot of people still argue if it's real. <laughs> it's just whether or not people listen to them. Yeah. But my my understanding of it is is global warming is nature's way of redressing the balance. So that is how nature is. The planet will always survive. It's the human race that might not. You know. So I think how global warming works is everything gets hot, then will make everything, it will trigger an ice age is what will happen because the planet will need to cool down and we'll all die off. I think that's how it works, right? Um, and, but like we said, this film has those themes laced throughout it. Like I was saying uh, earlier, you could attach. It's, it's essentially man's domain over the earth and how we have this arrogance about the things we do might is right kind of attitude that humankind have and it is that what is the consequences you do without thinking sh like should i i think was what you were saying wasn't it um and you can insert that to global warping uh war warping global <laughs> warping it's a new dance craze kids <laughs> so you can insert global warming um a treatment of animals you know if you're a vegan act activist it's all there you know the horrors they're feeding the bull to the um to the velociraptors or the goat and so on you like it literally you can insert any metaphor you want in there really because humans have as a species generally the same uh mo <laughs> about everything we do you know? <laughs> personally i think that all films should ask a question in some form you know it should it should it should cause you know, even if it's the most kind of popcorn cookie cutter, don't need to think about it in any way, you just watch it. I still think a film should ask you a question so that you can go away after watching a film and kind of in your head think about that question. Mm. And I think the part of the beauty with these kind of topics and a film like this is that the questions that you end up asking, you know, do have kind of like real life uh parameters involved where you you do kind of then start asking questions about the you know the environment the planet and things like that where perhaps you know you didn't afterwards and i'm not saying by any means that you watch jurassic park and therefore think i'm going to save the planet i'm going to put on my save the planet cape mm. but it certainly means that your eyes are opening to it and that's it, part it's of the also beauty. not unbelievable that that would happen to someone if after they watched it you know I, I mean? think that's the yeah. beauty of filmmaking yeah. is that it, you know whilst it can be seen and like anything could be seen by some people as just being something you just consume mm. but actually it has the it has the ability to kind of just get right to the heart of a soul of a person and you know there may be people listening to this going how are they how are they talking about this Jurassic Park really <laughs> but that's kind of the point in the sense of like yeah the way it made, you know, the way this film made me feel when I first watched it, it made me feel terrified of Velociraptors. That opening scene, it was like, it felt like I was watching like a horror movie I shouldn't have been watching. Yeah. You know. Well, it has those Hitchcockian Spielberg yeah. techniques. Ah! <laughs> it's just brilliant. Yeah, yeah. You know. It's the bit when, he, as he's going round, as he gets sucked into the, the I don't know what you call it, pen, I don't know, whatever the... the and he goes round and then Somehow goes Somehow the word pen doesn't feel quite doesn't justified right, doesn't yeah, yeah, for a yeah. velociraptor. But he goes round and then goes up. 
and it just hangs up there while they're obviously mm. chewing his legs off or whatever it's doing. You know, what I mean? it's yeah. like, just a nice little touch. Just watching you know? that as a kid was terrifying, and the scene I mentioned earlier with Nidri, terrifying. Mm. But then in the same breath, that first when. Uh, when they all see the dinosaurs for the first time and you've got that music, obviously a brilliant John Williams score underneath, which... I'm trying not to do it. The moment you said it, it went off in my head and I knew he started going, la, 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 la. But it's so, it's, it's so perfect. Yeah. And it's almost a point where there's no point, ironically, we're doing a podcast on it, but it's almost like redundant talking about it because I can never explain properly how something makes me feel. And in this case, I can't explain how I felt when I first looked at that VHS cover and thought, what's this? Yeah. Not really understanding the world, not really understanding things just in general, uh, you know, being probably six or seven and just going... Mm. just look what is it what is this and then putting it on and then being like you know yeah in the comfort of you know of my own home being scared and frightened because <laughs> of dinosaurs <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know yeah uh, and as i say it's, it's i mean I think, you're, I think like the the best especially the best kids movies the best movies you'll see as a kid will have an element of, there's the, always the stuff that you don't get that's in there for the parents. The best kids' movies have something for the adults. Little jokes here and there that you won't get until you're older, you know. Um, and elements of those things that so the parents aren't bored out of their mind when they're watching it. But all of that's going in to your mind. And, and you, you then you have an attachment to this movie as a child. And as you get older, you go, oh, there's broader themes in here. Wow. And that in itself, that discovery that something that you watched as a kid, grew up, you still love it as an adult, but in your mind, it's a child's movie. And then one day you'll revisit it and you'll go, oh, there's broader themes in it. He's talking about chaos theory. And like, <laughs> he's dressed in black. <laughs> it's like, oh, right. You know, it's all this, all this man's domain stuff and all of this other stuff. It's all layered in there. And it's, and uh, good movies are like that. Like you said, they'll ask, they, they'll either ask you a question or they'll have a good subtext or the very text itself is, is, um, enough to make you think. But good films have layers, you know, it's not, it's, Packaged, especially a, a Spielberg movie, is packaged in this this uh, entertaining, um, colourful um, spectacle that's fun for all the family, and we can sell T-shirts and you know lunch boxes and whatever it is, you know. But it's layered, you know. And on on the other side of that coin is how if you don't connect with it at a young age, and then you so let's take ET for example. I don't I don't think I saw that until I was in my teens. Mm. So I don't have that kind of connection that I know, like my, I think my sister has that kind of connection with it. And I know lots and lots of people do, but I don't because I, I, I can't remember seeing it when I was a kid. So I'm going to venture and say, I didn't see it as a kid. Mm. And so I watched it in my teens and it's, yeah, I enjoyed it, but I don't have that kind of thing of going, Oh my! You know, oh, it's it's ET, like I do with Jurassic Park, where I kind of I don't have to think about it. I just go, it's Jurassic Park. Stick it on. Yeah, yeah. ET is an interesting one for me because I remember when it came out, I was too young for it. My sister loved it. She's six years older than me. She loved it. I remember watching it. It wasn't I was too young to watch. I, it was too long. I was like, what's going on? Do you know, I can't. You, I couldn't. 
maintain focus. And my ADHD, of course, but I couldn't maintain focus on it for that long. And so it's always had that. When I watch it, I think this film's a bit long. I, however, loved the character E.T. So that would have been the marketing. The lunch. I had an E.T. lunch. I keep going about lunchboxes. I do, but I have to think of something else that they sell. But I had an E.T. lunchbox. I remember um, my cousin had an E.T. doll that the chest glue, um, like glue. Yeah, glowed. <laughs> glowed. Jesus. Uh, glowed uh, red when you pressed his hand in, and maybe his finger glowed as well, which in the 80s was the height of technology, and it was realistic looking at it. And there was like E.T. E.T. teddy bears and things all over the place, you know. Um, but I've never been a huge fan of E.T. as a film. But I know like Goonies is one of those films, which I think is produced by, it's a Richard Donner movie. It's produced yeah. by Spielberg. There's a lot of people, I saw that as a kid, I love it to this day. There's a lot of people who, who, who are like, I saw that as a, an adult. I don't understand why everyone's so obsessed with this film. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's one of those films you have to see as a child. Jurassic Park may be the same. I don't know. It definitely has those layers. I, I can't say for sure because I love watching dinosaurs eat people. <laughs> so I'll always make time. It's one of those I would probably, I don't go out of my way to watch it, but I, if it's on, I will stop. And, which bit of the film is someone about, if it's like the first hour, I probably walk on by, you know? But if we're coming up to, oh, oh, it's, it's about to kick off, I'm going to sit down and watch a good 20 minutes of that before I carry on with what I'm doing, you know? Yeah, and... In interestingly, like it's funny how, particularly when it's a franchise, and you know has lots of different forms of media. So one thing that I remember vividly that isn't in this film that I thought was, and I realise it's from the PS One game. So in the PS One game, it was a bit awful, but there's these little tiny, probably hand sized dinosaurs right. that that attack you. And just like swarm you. Interestingly, that then comes in, I think, in later installments of the film. Okay, but right, for yeah. me, I was adamant that that was in the the actual in the first, the, in the first like film. That, but it's yeah. not. But it's it's just all encompassing into that kind of that feeling and that kind of uh, everything to do with Jurassic Park. And it's yeah. interesting seeing what's actually in there because. There's a lot that I remember from Jurassic Park, or what I think I remember from Jurassic Park, that isn't in here. Yeah. But it's because of other things where I've gone, oh, no, that's in that, or that's in that, yeah, or yeah. that, oh, that's happened since that point. Yeah, it's funny how that happens, isn't it? How it all becomes, after, I mean, 30 years later, you know, how it all becomes part of the same thing in your mind, you know? Like, I remember it out of sequence when I watch it, like... It's, so odd. But. It's a bit like uh, Voorhees with the hockey mask. Everyone thinks it's in the first one, but it's actually three or four. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, he, yeah, he's yeah. not the killer in the first one. Spoiler yeah. alert! Uh, <laughs> but yeah. it's that kind of thing of it becomes so synonymous Definitely with, with the, the name, yeah, yeah. you know, in this yeah. case, Jurassic Park. So you kind of associate everything Jurassic Park-wise with this. Mm. Uh and I think that, you know, that kind of leads us on nicely to kind of like the legacy of mm. this. Yeah. In the sense of, you know, again, it's always difficult when you have like loads and loads of sequels. But 
they've been really, I think they've been really hit and miss. They've kind of missed a lot of the time the point of what makes the first yeah. one so good. You know, even the newer ones, which to be fair, have made more money, mm. which is... is well, no, they would, though, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah, you know, I think uh, Fallen Kingdom or Jurassic World, sorry. It's probably that was the first one, right? Yeah, probably yeah, yeah. the best one out of the new I went new to trilogy. cinema to watch that, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. It, you know, it's 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 all right. It's Again, a good movie. Dinosaurs, it's got dinosaurs, eating people. No one gets eaten on the toilet in uh, the, the Jurassic World, as I recall. Um, which I have to say is my favourite scene in the first Jurassic World. Uh, in my head, I always remember it, he's actually using the toilet, but he's actually just hiding in the toilet. <laughs> well, there's yeah. a point where I watched him, I think it's because he's wearing the shorts. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it looks right. like he's actually got his... Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, Jurassic, World's, Jurassic World's good. I saw the second one when they're, when they're living in the forest. I saw that like a few weeks ago. It was all right. <laughs> Yeah, the, the newest one, Dominion, where they have Sam Neil and yeah, that's uh, the one I saw. Yeah, I he's living in the forest, and they go to an island, and it's underground. Sam Neil, Laura Dern are in it. Yeah, I think Jeff Goldblum's in it as well. I, say, he is. I, he's working at the compound thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I really dislike that. Oh, really? I watched it and was mm. like, this is not. This doesn't entertain me in any way. Right on. It felt like. It felt like a cash cow, you know. We've got to, we've got to do it because we've done two others, and everybody Was likes to do a trilogy. One? Yeah, it's the so you got Jurassic World, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, and then Jurassic. I was in the second one then. Again, they they blur <laughs> some dinosaurs and they yeah. eat some people. <laughs> it's so e it's so easy to blur the kind of right. You yeah, know. No, I I went definitely sort of sort of first one in the cinema. I may not have even seen the second Chris Pratt. Um, and Dallas Howard won then. Definitely seen the third one because I saw Jeff Goldblum and, and Thingamabob in it. Sam Jeff Neill Goldblum's in the second Jurassic World. No, yeah, well, Sam Neill yeah. was back in it. Though. Which, I mean, I that's why... Oh, I they, had, they had a cloned a cloned child in it as well. That was the whole yeah, plot that, thing, wasn't that it? Came in the, the, but yeah, yeah. I, I hope it's all right. I, I do, I mean, it's hard not to eat, watch... Um, even the first one, Jurassic World. Um, I'm all. I'm thinking. Well, it's, it's all a cash cow. It's all the studio here. We've got, we've got this property and special effects have moved on, and we can sign um, Chris Pratt. Yeah, yeah, it's Chris Pratt. Yeah, um, we're going to make some money. That's it's. I it's impossible to separate the two out when I'm watching it. Um, it's impossible, but entertaining enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think there's an there's an element for me where it's I feel like they they do kind of miss the point, and, and as, as have all of them, you know. Yeah. Like, I think the second one, Lost World, I genuinely can't remember anything about. So that's that. like dinosaurs in New York, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, I think right? I think, you know I, mean? I, think yeah. I don't know if I've watched the whole of it, but I re the, that is enough of a kind of. <laughs> enough of a statement to make you go well how good could it have been yeah but i would want to see that like i can understand where you go right we've we've we have this great technology here's realistic looking dinosaurs what do you want to what do you want to see next i want to see it smashing up skyscrapers king kong style kind of thing like I, that that logic makes sense to me because at that point you are going here's some spectacle like we we've done what we we can't keep repeating the themes 
overly repeating the themes of should man do this, should man do that, without showing you here's the consequences. That Here's the consequences we were hinting at in the first film, and it's going to look great. I don't know if it does. I haven't seen it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... I've, I've not seen it either, but... I, that prob- that one is probably the one I give the most. I would give the most time a day, in the sense of at least it's trying to do something different. So, it's, it so therefore, it's not going to be immediately comparable to. Mm. Whereas, you know, three. Let's go back to the island. So you're just going to do the same thing again. Mm. And then the new the new trilogy. It's and it's always it's always the same when there's a new trilogy of something the first film in that trilogy feels like fan service where they're going you know that thing you like here we are here it is dangled on a bit of string remember that iconic line from that film here it is subverted and you're like yeah. i don't need to see that i i don't the first time you've ever seen that done in a movie it works. You go, how did it subverted the line? He normally says that, but someone said it to him. You know, it's that kind of thing. The hundredth time you've seen it, you're like, this, you're not even trying. It's like, yeah, it's that stuff like that really mm. gets someone else. It's like, take another swing at writing that scene again and, and take the, that. You know, out. there's an element of they've clearly gone, well, they like this. Let's do more of that. You know, how do you top a T-Rex? Mm. Well, let's make a new dinosaur that's bigger and angrier than a T-Rex. Yeah, so yeah. then the next time, how do you top that? Let's do the same thing, but make it angrier yeah. again. Well, so the, it's the like, Predator remake, the Shane Black Predator remake, yeah. falls into exactly the same problem. T- the Which predator. one? Is that the is that Predators or Predator? Uh, predator. The most recent one. Yeah, yeah so yeah. yeah. So I the, the so one that starts the one that starts off really well and then falls apart about halfway through. Um you have the predator. They, I think if they do it in Predators as well, which is when they're on the alien moon with yeah. Adrian Brody yeah. as a mercenary, as as you know, I can't believe. Um but yeah, do it in that where they have bigger predators. And I'm like, no, you can't take the ultimate killing machine and go, hey, he's not that ultimate. His the same thing, but bigger. I, I find that morally offensive as a fan. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I feel like you're doing the character of the Predator a disservice. And it's the same thing with dinosaurs. Like you say, T-Rex, everybody knows he's the baddest. Well, he was. Now there's bigger T-Rex with more teeth. You know, it's like, oh, no. Just find something, find a vehicle to make the, what the T-Rex does interesting. Rather than just going, like you say, bigger you know, bigger, better. It's You know, it's all about, you can only see the same situation presented to you so many times before you go, mm. I'm not, I'm not fussed. It's, I know what's going to happen. At any point do they Beat make for, the T-Rex the goodie? The T-Rex is the goodie now, yeah. you know, because that's the other thing they do, you know. One thing that we haven't quite mentioned, but I feel deserves a mention. So the ending of Jurassic Park was almost very different. So in the original script, you know the big uh, skeleton of the T-Rex? Yeah. That was originally, the wires it's hooked up on was all kind of like puppeteered and animated. Okay. So it could be controlled by the theme park to show you, mm-hmm. you know, why you'd want to do that when you've got the actual T-Rex, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And so apparently the the ending kind of 
sequence would see Sam Neill man <laughs> the T-Rex in uh, some capacity uh, yeah. and I don't know if it's fight the T-Rex No, or I think that's what it would be. Yeah. It? Yeah, yeah, and it's like whoever had the final decision to go, we're not doing that, yeah. is a genius. Yeah. Because... That's bad. That, to me, sounds like every film... Yeah in the last 10, 15 years. Oh, let's just have somebody man a big thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. it's just, it's, 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 it sounds so bad. I was like, you started talking, I was like, where's he going with this? And then you're like, <laughs> it could be controlled like a puppet. I was like, oh no. Which is yeah. <laughs> kind of what elements I hate about the new, the new trilogy in the sense of he can kind of control the velociraptors. It's kind of like, yeah. He's trained them with whistles like, and like, dog treats. Yeah. Like, first of all, how are you going to explain that? And it doesn't really explain it other than he's good at what he does. <laughs> you know, it's like... Uh, he's it, the best. Yeah, you know. And then there's all... all there's an element, like, I think there's a point where he's riding one of the velociraptors in one of them. Yeah, it sounds and like... It, it. Yeah. Oh, no, no. It's, he's, on the, he's on the motorbike... And the Velociraptors are either side of him. And it's like, somebody... Ha that came about because somebody went, well, that'd be a cool thing to look at that for five seconds. Yeah, yeah, Let's yeah. create a whole sequence of events that can proceed to that money shot. Mm. Which, whilst there, as you said earlier, there's lots of that in, in the first film. They were creating that in that first film though here's the money shot you're like because you've never seen it before you and know? It, again yeah. it, it works because it's in the guise of a theme park so a theme park would be thinking here's our big here's the thing that's going to make you go whoa let's go back for round two mm. so it kind as you say it always kinds of makes sense mm. whereas in the new trilogy it's like nobody's thought this through and so you, you get very quickly you're in a rabbit hole and you're knee deep in in it and you go well we can't not do it now because we've written the whole script around this kind of sequence of events yeah i mean that is that is the hallmark of the problem with cgi now because they've gotten so good at it you can say i want to see Chris Pratt ride a dinosaur or, you know, in this case, ride a motorbike next to the dinosaur. I want to see, and then just name something, and they go, yeah, we can do that. It's like, all right, cool. I, I want to see that. Again, much like the themes of Jurassic Park, just because you could, should you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, how they've gone full circle. <laughs> yeah, now, even things like casting a Chris Pratt, who he's there because it's an action film, mm does kind of slightly contrast and what you were kind of saying about Sam Neill doesn't quite fit that. Mm. I think that's kind of why it works because he's not that, you know, let's be really honest, not that these things should be realistic in every single way, but an, an element of realism is needed. How many paleontologists, archaeologists or experts in their scientific field are also complete badasses can do these things and save an entire community of people and save the world from these things whilst also going i also have a phd in this particular thing it's you know there's an element of where it's at I, some i'm gonna point, say all of them i love you out there fellow paleontologists <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Is that, uh, no, never mind. I was going to say something that's completely inappropriate. Um, no, uh, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Um, but I'm pretty sure all paleontologists are badass and uh, can kick ass nonstop. Like and subscribe. <laughs> well, I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna disagree, but uh, still like and subscribe. I still love you. I just I just don't think you can uh, captivate me the way Harrison <laughs> Ford did. <laughs> I don't think you could win in an arm wrestle with a dinosaur. <laughs> but that that that's kind of the thing, though, where it, it gets to a point where I don't, you know, I'm now again. I'm kind of, like what we were saying. I'm now going. Oh, it's Chris Pratt. Mm. As opposed to, it's that character. I can't even name his character. It's kind of a. It, it's Chris Pratt. Yeah, I know. You know, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and when you do Star Lord, there you go. <laughs> yeah, when you kind of do that, it's that. That's when it kind of gets to a point where you kind of go, well, there's only so much that you can relate to a character, or you can relate to, mm. you know, a sequence of events when essentially you don't know their name and that all they're there is to is to look good in that role. Yeah, and I mean, like, like we're saying, really, it's interesting because the, the first Jurassic Park would have been, I mean, if it's not the first, it's the standard bearer for all of the CGI action movies that came after it. And the fact that nearly all of those movies that exist now over rely overly on just how good the action sequences will look rather than, um, rather than plot character development it's like you you don't need it here's some cookie cutter plot here's some cookie cutter character here's star lord on a motorbike training dinosaurs doesn't it look good that's all you need and that's almost every film that comes out now um i did see i mentioned it earlier i should probably just say um i saw a documentary and it was about special effects and it was about how the special effects in jurassic park came about and they were going down the um, animatronics route and the, the models and miniatures and all of that sort of stuff. And there was two dudes working there who were playing about with the computer stuff, you know, the computer modeling. And they were told to just leave it alone. You know, we're not doing that. And so <laughs> they were like, set it up. They knew, I don't think it was Steven Spielberg, but it may have been, I forget, but whoever was coming to view what the production company had been doing and they just left it at, uh, I think it was a T-Rex, it might not be, but it was a dinosaur running as, as their screensaver on their computer because they knew he'd walk past and the person walked past and went, what's that? And they went, oh, you like that? Oh, right, come on. And like the, their boss was fuming, you know? And that's how it ended up. The, the effects company weren't interested in it, you know? That sounds brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> ruthless. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, we're onto something. The, their bosses weren't listening to him. So, yeah, subterfuge, just left it as a screensaver. I love, those, I love those kind of like little tiny minute details that, yeah. that make a film go in a completely different direction. And without it, yeah. it's like, you know, classic one in Indiana Jones, the scene where you've got the guy spinning all the, yeah, the you blades. know, the sword yeah. and everything, and then he just pulls his gun out. And, you know, apparently that happened because Harrison Ford wasn't able to film this yeah, long drawn dysentery. out sequence. <laughs> yeah. <You know. laughs> because of dysentery. Yeah, yeah. No, that's right. Yeah, but that's how that came about. That's how the, the shape of movies changed because of two dudes who are like, how are we going to get... Oh, we're just He's going to walk this way on Tuesday. <laughs> you know, it's brilliant stuff. So in terms of further watching, I um, would say 
any kind of Spielberg film of the same ilk is going to be is going to kind of not follow the same beats, but it's going to do the same things that this kind of does. So It'll fulfill the same needs. Yeah, something like E.T., you know, a Raiders of the Lost Ark for a slightly older audience, I would say. I would yeah. go with uh, Last Crusade, but yeah, it's yeah. the same thing. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think as well, if, if you like the kind of themes, it kind of sticks out. Obviously, we've mentioned Westworld. Mm. So you've got the 72 film, but you've also got... The Yule new, Brenner. You know, you've also got the new TV series as well. I say like new, Jonathan Nolan, been, isn't it? He wrote that. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, that, that tackles a lot of the same kind of themes yeah. that it has here. Yeah, I think you're right. It's, any, it's almost any of the blockbuster Spielberg movies will fulfill the function. Even Jaws. It's a very different movie. I just love Jaws. Um, but yeah, any of that ilk of his career. And, and then the later films. So War of the Worlds, you'll get a very same fit, similar feeling watching War of the Worlds. Um, yeah, Westworld's a good call. Uh, anything with dinosaurs. I guess you could watch the new, the new um, Jurassic World, uh, the Chris Pat, Chris Pratt uh, Jurassic World type movies. They're going to work as well. Um, yeah. Anything with dinosaurs. Yeah, really. I'm stuck on dinosaurs. But, right but to now, be fair, you know I, can't, I, mean? I can't think of uh, an actual other dinosaur film other than Jurassic Park and the subsequent films? Um, <laughs> like Lava Tarantula or whatever them movies are. <laughs> you know, Apart from the, one of them must have a dinosaur yeah, the, in it, right? You know, yeah. the, or even the, you know, really sci-fi B-movie type things. Yeah, yeah. Which, again, shows them the amount of kind of effect it's had on pop culture whereby it looks like most other people aren't touching dinosaurs because mm. naturally it's going to be compared to... I guess uh, Gremlins has got similar um, themes in it, you know. Man. Tremors. Tremors. Tremors is a well. good call, man. I've not seen it. Kevin Bacon. But I know of it. Yeah. It's a good, great movie, yeah. Life lessons for me. Matthew McConaughey, come with me if you want to live. Life lesson number eight. May the force be with you. So there we have it. That's been Bury Our Bones of Jurassic Park. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you can. And if you feel like it, leave us a comment below. I'm gonna have to stop it. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
forgot we're supposed to do further watching <laughs> you're like further watching I was like dinosaur movies can't I can't think of any <laughs> I always forget about that bit and then go are you <laughs> to be fair the reason I asked is because you I, have more <laughs> <many."> <laughs> I was like yeah uh, the other Jurassic Park movies it, I think with Jurassic Park as we were just kind of saying it is really difficult because there's no there's no other direct dinosaur movies it's not, not like really you. is there alright hang on Overwatching, good fellas. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll borrow that pen in a second. <laughs> um. <laughs>